Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled Service, Suffering, and Judgment, Part 3. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, we also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. In our last episode titled, Service, Suffering, and Judgment, Part 2, January 9th, we examined 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 9-11. through 11. In that study, we learned we can entertain angels completely unaware of doing it. We were given the examples of Abraham and Lot. Lot entertained three angels at once. This alone invokes the question, have we individually, of course, entertained an angel or angels completely unaware of doing so? Personally, I believe I have one time in my past where I may well have entertained an angel when I applied for computer school. I had real paperwork to prove I was undeniably enrolled in that school, but when an issue came up that needed solving, it was reported to me that the person who got me into the computer school never was employed by the school for enrollment or for any other reason they would need someone in that capacity. The big question on everyone's mind was, who was this guy? Where did he come from, and how did he get the paperwork approved and put through so I was enrolled? There were no answers to these questions, and I finished the school. I have since made an excellent career and still have an enjoyed pastime with computers. I grew and now have extensive knowledge in both user computers and servers in Microsoft Windows, Apple computers, Linux, and several other systems and business most people have not heard of from companies like IBM. But I digress. We also found that we all have gifts, both of the practical and the spiritual. We learned we all have these gifts, not all these gifts, but a mix that best fits how God created us to serve and help others in the world about us, even in these pandemic times. This week, our scripture reads, Dear friends, do not be astonished that a trial by fire is occurring among you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in the degree that you have shared in the suffering of Christ, so that when his glory is revealed, you may also rejoice and be glad. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory, who is the Spirit of God, rests on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or criminal or as a troublemaker. But if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but glorify God that you bear such a name. For it is the time for judgment to begin, starting with the house of God. And it starts with us. What will be the fate of those 
who are disobedient to the gospel of God. And if the righteous are barely saved, what will become of the ungodly and sinners? So then, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator as they do good. From 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12-19. through 19. Notice how this final passage of study in this multi-part series opens. Dear friends, do not be astonished that a trial by fire is occurring among you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in the degree that you have shared in the sufferings of Christ, so that when His glory is revealed, you may also rejoice and be glad. Verse 12 opens strongly. It says, Do not be astonished that a trial by fire is occurring among you, as though something strange were happening to you. It also reads in Green's literal translation, Do not be astonished at the fiery trial happening among you, for your testing as if a surprise were occurring to you. In other translations, it is written, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Regardless of how the verse portion is worded, it all means the same thing. We are not to think that a fiery trial is a strange thing to happen to God-fearing, God-believing Christians, as many American believers think and believe. Even today, many American believers think that because they are born again or saved in Christ, by Christ, that we can now live an easy life filled with glad tidings, joy, rich opulence, and prosperity. We can live as though nothing wrong or ill will befall us in today's world. I cannot find that belief in my Bible. I really wonder where those who preach this ill-conceived message find it in their Bible. If we know our scripture well, we know that trials are what help us grow under the care of our God and Father. He knows what we need and how to bring the right trial upon us to shape us in the way we need to be shaped to better execute His will through us. Sort of a partnership executed by God Himself so we can work hand in hand with Him as our guide or our senior partner. We are the junior partner learning from our senior partner. God. In these days, the Holy Spirit is in us to help us in this way. Commentary tells us further by examining this sentence phrase by phrase. Beloved, think it not strange. Do not consider it as anything which you had no reason to expect as anything which may not happen to others also. 
concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, referring doubtless to some severe persecution which was then impending. We have not the means of determining precisely what this was. The word rendered fiery trial occurs only here and in Revelation chapter 18, verse 9 and verse 18, in both of which later places it is rendered burning. It means properly a being on fire, burning, conflagration, and then any severe trial. It cannot be demonstrated from this word that they were literally to suffer by fire, but it is clear that some heavy calamity was before them, as though some strange thing happened unto you, something unusual, something which did not occur to others. From Barnes New Testament Notes The Apostle exhorts them not to look upon their afflictions that either did or should attend them as strange and uncommon things, since afflictions of whatsoever kind are not things of chance and do not rise up out of the dust, but are by the appointment and according to the will of God and are also the common lot of the people of God in all ages. From the beginning of the world, the same afflictions are accomplished in others. Yes, Christ himself endured the same hatred, reproach, and contradiction of sinners against himself, and they are what he has given his people reason to expect having told them of them beforehand, that they might not be offended at them, and as they lay in his way to glory. It need not seem strange that the saints also should, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom. Moreover, this fiery dispensation, be it what it will, was not to destroy them, but to try them, and that for their good, profit, and advantage, just as gold and silver are tried in the fire and lose their dross and become purer and brighter. From the New John Gill's Exposition of the Entire Bible. Hopefully, this better explains why we go through some of the negative issues in this life. One current example most anywhere on this planet Earth right now is the intense storm damage happening around the world. For the point has been made very clearly that trials are not to destroy us, but to try us, and that for our good, profit, and advantage, just as gold and silver are tried in the fire and lose their dross and become purer and brighter. This is why we are told in Scripture, do not be astonished that a trial by fire is occurring among you, 
as though something strange were happening to you. Could coronavirus or COVID-19 be such a trial by fire? Could this pandemic be a trial that is like fire in the stress put upon us? Are only real children of God going to find a way through all the issues in these times to bless others so that those blessed can find their way through these times? Unfortunately, only you can answer those questions for yourself. For this is not about others. It is about each of us. So, with that in view, only you have the answers to those questions. Verse 14 reads, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory, who is the Spirit of God, rests on you. In Green's literal translation, verse 14 also reads, If you are reviled in the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of God and of glory rests on you. Truly, according to them, he is blasphemed, but according to you, he meaning God in heaven, he is glorified. What do these two translations help us understand? One, if you are insulted, reviled for the name of Christ, or in the name of Christ, you are blessed. Two, the reason one is blessed is because the Spirit of God and of glory rests on you. Or, a bit more clearly said, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory, who is the Spirit of God, rests on you. The sense of this word, happy, here is the same as blessed in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 11. It means that they were to regard their condition or lot as a blessed one. Not that they would find personal and positive enjoyment on being reproached and vilified. It would be a blessed condition because it would be like that of their Savior, would show that they were his friends, would be accompanied with rich spiritual influences in the present world, and would be followed by the rewards of heaven. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, the glorious and divine Spirit. There is no doubt that there is reference here to the Holy Spirit, and the meaning is that they might expect that the Spirit would rest upon them or abide with them if they were persecuted for the cause of Christ. There may be some allusion here in the language to the fact that the Spirit of God descended and abode on the Savior at his baptism, and, in like manner, they might hope to have the same Spirit resting on them. The essential idea is that 
If they were called to suffer in the cause of the Redeemer, they would not be left or forsaken. They might hope that God would impart his spirit to them in proportion to their sufferings in behalf of religion, and that they would have augmented joy and peace. This is doubtless the case with those who suffer persecution. And this is the secret reason why they are so sustained in their trials. Their persecutions are made the reason of a much more copious effusion of the Spirit on their souls. The same principle applies, doubtless, to all the forms of trial which the children of God pass through and in sickness, bereavement, loss of property, disappointment in their worldly plans, and death itself. They may hope that larger measures of the Spirit's, capital S, meaning the Holy Spirit, larger measures of the Spirit's influences will rest upon them. Hence, it is often gain to the believer to suffer. From Barnes New Testament Notes. Seriously, is it often gain to the believer to suffer? What is up with that? Another point that flies in the face of those who believe that we can now live an easy life filled with glad tidings, joy, rich opulence, and prosperity every single day past our conversion. How does that kind of lifestyle agreeably permit one to gain by suffering? A good question that deserves an answer. We will look in the Old Testament to start finding the answer. I will quote this verse in the context it is a part of. Then we will examine Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2. Reading the context. Behold, the Lord. Jehovah of hosts shall lop the bow of terror, and the lofty ones shall be cut down, and the proud shall be humbled, and he shall cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon shall fall by a mighty one, and a shoot goes out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch will bear fruit out of his roots and the Spirit of Jehovah shall rest on him. He will have the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and power, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of Jehovah. From Isaiah chapter 10, verses 33 through chapter 11, verse 2. Now, examining verse 2 in chapter 11. Like David, Reference 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. This king will be energized by the Lord's Spirit. 1. A spirit of wisdom and understanding. The synonyms are joined here to emphasize the degree of wisdom he will possess. His wisdom will enable him to make just legal decisions. A very similar phrase occurs in Ephesians chapter 1, Verse 17. 2. A spirit of counsel or strategy and strength. 
The construction is a hendiadis, or a figure of speech in which an idea is expressed by two nouns connected by and instead of a noun and modified. The point is that he will have the strength, ability, to execute the plan's strategy he devises. This ability will enable him to suppress oppressors and implement just policies. 3. A spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Quote, knowledge, end quote, is used here in its conventional sense and refers to a recognition of God's authority and a willingness to submit to it. Quote, fear, end quote, here refers to a healthy respect for God's authority which produces obedience. Taken together, the two terms emphasize the single quality of loyalty to the Lord. This loyalty guarantees that he will make just legal decisions and implement just policies. From Free Version of New English Translation Bible Footnotes with Limited Notes. While a bit complex, that is the answer to our previous question. How does that kind of lifestyle agreeably permit one to gain by suffering? Again, that commentary passage gives us a fairly solid answer. However, more research should be pursued if you want a more complete answer to the question. The next passage ends with a very good question. It reads, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or criminal or as a troublemaker. But if you suffer as a Christian... Do not be ashamed, but glorify God that you bear such a name. For it is time for judgment to begin, starting with the house of God. And if it starts with us, what will be the fate of those who are disobedient to the gospel of God? There it is, a very good question. However, for a more complete examination here, Let's start in verse 16. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. 1. Ashamed of religion so as to refuse to suffer on account of it. 2. Ashamed that he is despised and maltreated. He is to regard his religion as every way honorable and all that fairly results from it in time and eternity as in every respect desirable. He is not to be ashamed to be called a Christian. He is not to be ashamed of the doctrines taught by his religion. He is not to be ashamed of the Savior whom he professes to love. He is not to be ashamed of the society and fellowship of those who are true Christians, poor and despised though they may be. He is not to be ashamed to perform any of the duties demanded by his religion. He is not to be ashamed to have his name cast out and himself subjected to reproach and scorn. A man should be ashamed only of that which is wrong. 
he should glorify in that which is right, whatever may be the consequence to himself. Christians now, though not subjected to open persecution, are frequently reproached by the world on account of their religion, and though the rack may not be employed, and the fires of martyrdom are not enkindled, yet it is often true that one who is a believer is called to suffer as a Christian. But let him glorify God on his behalf. Let him praise God that he is deemed not unworthy to suffer in such a cause. It is a matter of thankfulness. One, that they may have this evidence that they are true Christians. Two, that they may desire the advantages which may result from suffering as Christ did and in his cause, where the sentiment here expressed is fully illustrated. From Barnes' New Testament Notes. This commentary passage opens with, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Right here is where modern-day Christians have issues. If you believe that you should no longer suffer because you are born again, what does this comment say to you, and how does it contradict what you believe? If we Christians suffer different forms of hardship, we are instructed to not be ashamed. Scripture even seems to suggest that we are to be happy in our suffering, especially if we know it is suffering for our faith in Jesus Christ. Scripture is clear. He will revenge all those who inflict hardship on his people. However, finding rest in that is humanly difficult. Our proper view of this is outlined in commentary by Barnes. A man or woman should be ashamed only of that which is wrong. They should glorify in that which is right, whatever may be the consequences to them. Christians now, though not subjected to open persecution, are frequently reproached by the world on account of their religion, and though the rack may not be employed, and the fires of martyrdom are not enkindled, yet it is often true that one who is a believer is called to suffer as a Christian. But let them glorify God on this behalf. Let them praise God that he is deemed not unworthy to suffer in such a cause. Now, here is the bottom line. It is a matter of thankfulness. One, that you may have this evidence that you are a true Christian. Two, that you may desire the advantages which may result from suffering as Christ did, and in his cause, where the sentiment here expressed is fully 
illustrated. That's it, friends. Bottom line. In closing, we should note this also in verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin, starting with the house of God. And if it starts with us, what will be the fate of those who are disobedient to the gospel of God? This verse says two very interesting things. One, for it is time for judgment to begin, starting with the house of God. Two, and if it starts with us, what will be the fate of those who are disobedient to the gospel of God? If that judgment is to begin, just what is meant by the word judgment? The word judgment here seems to mean the severe trial which would determine character. It refers such calamities as would settle the question whether there was any religion or would test the value of that which was professed. It was to begin at the house of God or be applied to the church first in order that the nature and worth of religion might be seen. The reference is, doubtless, to some fearful calamity which would primarily fall on the house of God, that is, to some form of persecution which was to be let loose upon the church. From Barnes' New Testament Notes. The logical question here is, what is or who is the house of God? Is it all of us saved in Christ, Jew and Gentile? Is it just the Gentiles and not the Jews? Is it just the Jews and not the Gentiles? All good questions we need to get an answer. Commentary helps. At the house of God, Benson, Bloomfield, and many others supposed that this refers to the Jews and to the calamities that were to come around the temple and the holy city about to be destroyed. But the more obvious reference is to Christians, spoken of as the house or family of God. There is probably in the language here an allusion to Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 6. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, and begin at the sanctuary. But the language used here by the apostle does not denote literally the temple or the Jews, but those who were in his time regarded as the people of God, Christians, the church. So the phrase, house of Jehovah, is used to denote the family or people of God. The sense here is, therefore, that the series of calamities referred to were to commence with the church or were to come first upon the people of God. From Barnes' New Testament Notes. Here is the bottom line here. The language used here by the apostle does not denote literally the temple or the Jews but those who were in this time regarded as the people of God, Christians, the church. 
And these Christians are Jewish people as well. So, the answer to our previous question, is that all of us saved in Christ, Jew and Gentile, is yes. Both Jew and Gentile are both being referred to as the church. Now, finally, I will close with this from Barnes' New Testament notes. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? If God brings such trials upon us who have obeyed his gospel, what have we not reason to suppose he will bring upon those who are yet in their sins? And if we are selected first as the objects of his visitation, if there is that in us which requires such method of dealing, what are we to suppose will occur in the end with those who make no pretensions to religion, but are yet living in open transgression? The sentiment is that if God deals thus strictly with his people, if there is that in them which makes the visitations of his judgment proper on them, there is a certainty that they who are not his people, but who live in iniquity, will in the end be overwhelmed with the tokens of severe wrath. Their punishment hereafter will be certain, and who can tell what will be the measure of its severity? Every wicked man, when he sees the trials which God brings upon his own people, should tremble under the apprehension of the deeper calamity which will hereafter come upon himself. The judgments which God brings upon his own people make it certain that the wicked will be punished. Join us next week as we delve into the last study in 1 Peter, Leading and Living in God's Flock, Part 1. We will examine this charge Peter makes in verse 2. Give a shepherd's care to God's flock among you. Exercise oversight not merely as a duty, but willingly under God's direction not for shameful profit, but eagerly. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched. Currently, an all-electronic, Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. God bless you all. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome, and God bless you. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. Thank you all so much. God bless you all. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. 
please find a short link to our episode titled How to Be Saved at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled Introduction About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. If you go to our internet homepage, under the podcast menu item, you can find many popular podcast platforms we are found on. We are located at this internet address, unchurched.site123.me. At present, we are located on a growing number of podcast sites. So, you should be able to find us on a platform you like. We refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sundays. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.